You're listening to Cultivation Elevated, hosted by Michael Williamson, where we discuss vertical farming and the future of cannabis and food production. You'll be learning key insights for vertical farming success from leading industry operators, growers, and executives. If you're a grower or owner looking to optimize your existing or new indoor cultivation facility, or anyone looking to cultivate more in less space, we've got you covered. Cultivation Elevated, sponsored by Pip Particulture. Hello and welcome to another episode of Cultivation Elevated, sponsored by Pip Horticulture. I'm your host, Michael Williamson, and I'm here in Buchanan, Michigan at Redbud Roots with Dante Metaluno and Joe Zeller, both our co-directors of cultivation. Thank you guys for the tour earlier, and thanks for sitting down and talking with me today. Our pleasure. So let's get started. Redbud Roots, what is it? How'd the name come about? Um, the name comes about, it has a history tied to the town of Buchanan that we're in. Um, they have red bud trees that grow throughout the town, just proliferate the scenery as you drive through town. They also is the home of a motocross track that's pretty famous throughout the state. The name of that track is also Red Bud. So across the state of Michigan and a little bit of the Midwest, it's known as a gathering spot every 4th of July for a massive pro motocross event. Red Bud parties are legendary across the state, and the town definitely put itself on the map through the plant, through the events that it hosts here. And they offer a really open-minded and inclusive viewpoint on cannabis. You know, they've welcomed cannabis industry to the town in the earliest days, um, made a lot of things, broke down a lot of barriers that opened the door to various cannabis businesses. Nice. What about infrastructure-wise? What does Red Bud Roots You guys are strictly cultivation at this point and extraction and processing? We are cultivation, extraction, processing, packaging, have a diverse sales team. We do a little bit of brokerage, white label, and try and find a skew that matches almost every product that somebody can want to purchase at this point. Uh, Lean towards the craft side of the market. We do small batch for what we consider small batch, three different buildings, fairly small flower rooms, so we do have that care that we can put into each one of those. We chase premium rosin products, um, hash holes, all the different extracts, and like to think we do it all right. So you're pretty consumer focused then? Definitely. If the market's demanding something, you're willing to pivot and kind of figure that out and offer that solution? Yeah, started in the medical side, early days, everything at that point obviously focused medical, which gave us a great footprint of finding those customers, finding, providing real help and relief to a lot of people as we advanced and the states kind of moved everything towards REC in the way of licensing that makes sense. Uh, moved over to REC, still retained a lot of that medical approach to what we do, a lot of the help that we provide people. Um, our CEO uh, used to be in the money side of things, uh, brokerage trading, moved over into cannabis because he experienced an issue within his family, you know, that he saw real relief come from cannabis to his child. You know, that motivated him to seek this out, what he could do in the world, something a little more than just make money. So, you know, that that's our driving principle from the beginning of everything we do at Redbud here is it's to make a difference, whether it be in Buchanan, across the state of Michigan, hopefully to anybody that encounters our products out there in the market. Nice. It's a, unfortunately a common story for the motivation for people to kind of take the leap of faith and like start something. But at the same time too, for every negative, there's a positive and it's great that you guys have been able to help not just personal family members, but a bunch of people that you may never even get recognition from, but you know that you're helping and it's pretty incredible. Um, tell me a little bit about each one of you. Dante, let's start with you. How long have you been with the company? You know, kind of what were you doing beforehand and kind of what's, what's the day-to-day look like? I've been with the company for just over four years now. I mean, I started working here before they were licensed, you know, just helping to set things up. My experience in the cannabis market, you know, I was always around and involved, but never as much as I would like to be. You know, I consider myself pretty green and inexperienced still, always learning, super grateful for the opportunity to be here and to learn. You know, I've had a lot of great mentors around, you know, along the way. I mean, it's just a, uh, it's a labor of love. It's really able to stimulate you in a lot of different ways, get your brain going. Yeah, it's 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 a it's very enamoring. You know, it's like it just sucks you in. Mm-hmm. Um, there's too much, I think, unknown and curiosity, and it's hard once you kind of do this job and you look at other jobs, you kind of look at them a little differently. It's like I just don't know if that's going to fulfill me after. I try not to think too much of what I'd be doing. 
<laughs> sure. Yeah, smart. And and Joe, how about you? Um, I've been with Redbud for three and a half years. Started, I think my first day was their first harvest at the building we just toured. So okay. came on board through some of my friends who were here as cultivators. Another uh, person that started actual the design of these first couple buildings. Got our first uh, process and plan for actually how we cultivate in place. Shout out to Exotic Matter and Jesse and J- Joe over there. Um, laid the groundwork kind of for success for us and having that plan in a commercial entity. Um, I grew black market, I grew medical, had success in those areas, thought I knew what I was doing, found out within a few days coming into this, I didn't know anything. So, I mean, in all honesty, I consider myself green as Dante, you know, when he started and it's, it's been a desire that, you know, I watch and admire the quality in him of just to learn everything, you know, every nook and cranny of this, you want to know the why, you want to know the how, and you want to be in control of it a few times before you pass that on to somebody else. So had the pleasure of them allowing me to put my hands on things. I had absolutely no right to have them on in the beginning and allow me the space to figure that stuff out. So just been the joy. Sounds like healthy leadership. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, you guys are both in like a co-role as well, yes. um, which I think is actually quite nice. Um, we were talking earlier how even the best players in this space in the world they're still human beings, and sometimes just as a single person, we, we miss something or we don't completely flush it out through constructive back and forth because mm-hmm. if it's just you, there usually isn't a whole bunch of back and forth. You guys tend to come up with ideas on the regular basis and then constructively communicate them to each other, but then also attempt to beat them up and find the flaws in them, right? It's not mm-hmm. so much like, oh, that's a great idea. It's like, trying to figure out how does this thing best fail is kind of how you were describing it to me and, and then work around those potential failures. Can we talk a little bit about some of that strategy and kind of how that's helped Redbud kind of? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think to sum it up, I'd say we argue until we agree. Okay. For most things, you know, if uh, there's been plenty of times I've had an idea and I think it's great and I think it through and then I bring it to Joe and then our uh, facilities manager, Richard, as well, who's a great, you know, quality control aspect. And, you know, they blow holes in it, then either we leave it or we find ways to, you know, make it happen regardless. So it's definitely like a final spell check for any idea we have. Yeah, it's a welcoming of collaboration, mm-hmm. you know, a opening of communication um, between us two is huge. Uh, from the beginning when we worked together, I felt, you know, we were dynamic together, had quite a few different skills and different qualities to how we approach things that, that really jive well. You know, Dante's amazing with numbers, amazing with data, tracking, um, has that analytical brain. I'm a little more of a free thinker, um, can go really positive, can look at all the negatives if I want to, and switch sides of my brain a little bit like that. Mm-hmm. So I come with certain biases. You know, he comes with certain biases also. Both of us like to look at the theory and how the theory is then applied. Um, like you said, shoot holes in each other's ideas. I have zero reservations about throwing out the most ridiculous thing I can think about to him and see if maybe one aspect of that is something we can grasp onto. A lot of times after we vet it, the, the idea that was so crazy in the beginning is something we run with long term and maybe sets us apart from how the typical way of doing that is. It's interesting how some people really thrive in life when they have the ability to do kind of almost constant problem solving. Mm -hmm. And there's other personality types who that like gives them so much anxiety and doesn't fulfill or doesn't fill their cup. You know, they like to do things really structured, Mm -hmm. come in, know they did it just right, and then kind of clock out. That's not what this cannabis industry is. And even though you guys are on year four, it's almost like you're in startup mode for quite a long time, you know, and you kind of get to these coasting points for a little bit but then at the same time whether it's personal ambition or something goes off but all of a sudden you go no we can we can do more or we can push it a little bit more we can drive the car a little faster what about if we drive it like this so it's it's nice that you guys are kind of like a yin and yang relationship and Mm -hmm. i think a lot less falls through the cracks when you have at least one if not two other people to really get into the nitty-gritty and bounce ideas off before you implement stuff people seem historically in this space kind of quick to throw a band-aid on a problem they're just like putting out fires so to speak and they'll get fixated on like a small fire that can just smolder it's not going to burn your house down but meanwhile they have like a legitimate five alarm fire that's burning their house down and they're not paying attention to it so it's nice that you guys have that 
I guess, A, from a leadership standpoint, that trust. And then you as, with, as leaders in this space, you have trust with each other, which a lot of times there's a lot of competition. It seems like when I was talking to you guys earlier, it's, it's not really about who came up with the idea or who was right or who was wrong. It's really about making the machine better, stronger, more efficient as a whole. Yeah, um, a lack of satisf satisfaction with what we do. You know, a desire to always improve every aspect. Um, and it, I'm happy to say it's not just us. You know, there's, there's a group of seven people that speak their mind all the time. Hmm. Uh, there's another group of our total of 27. And every person in that group, I mean, slaves every day, knows that no matter what it is, they can come to several of us with it and knows that we'll at least give it attention, you know, and I can't solve a problem, but I can try and make a plan and I can try and make one step towards making things different. And I think that's, that's appreciated. We don't want to be stagnated. We don't want to sit and do things the way we've always done them because um, we don't do them the best, you know. Sure. I want to do things the best. Yeah, it's all about the strength of our crew from the bottom up. You know, everybody here has got some knowledge worth value. Yeah, and, that's, and what, what I noticed too is like, I walked into your space and like, I'm the new guy, but I felt the love. Like when I saw you guys come in, like you guys were all really friendly. You could feel the unity there. You know, a lot of times people come in, like they don't make eye contact, they don't make acknowledgement, they don't greet, they don't embrace, you know, whatever it might be. And so I definitely, I could feel that tight niche community of team that you have. For people that may not be able to watch some of the B-roll footage that we saw earlier that are just listening in, can you describe, so we have three different cultivation facilities, and I toured the oldest facility, which is four-ish years old. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, but can you describe those facilities and maybe the teams that operate and maybe the correlation to lights or square footage of canopy sure. or whatever yeah. makes sense? 448 is our original location. That's the address of it. It's uh, about 10,000 square foot building. 180 lights, three different flower rooms. It's uh, double tier pip racks with fluid LED lights. Mm -hmm. You know, it's probably the most different from our other facilities because the other two are 215 location and our 835 location. They're all single tier. Our third building is HPS, whereas our first two are LED. I mean, it's, it's a little different having a single tiered building versus a double tiered building. You have to run different genetics there. You have to kind of modify your environment and other inputs to control height and growth. And our third building's at HPS lights, and that's a little bit different ballpark right there too. What drove, I guess, the decision making in more of a traditional single tier HPS approach on those buildings? Was there something with the building itself or operations? Yeah, that was the building that was built while we were here and we had a little more input on the construction of it. And, uh, I think it was a little more familiar to some of our growers as well. How's the ceiling height in that space? Um, we're at, I believe, right around 12, 13, 12, 13 foot. Feet. Yeah, right in that okay. range. Yep. Yeah, so so you're, you're, we're right at the ceiling. We we moved our lights up as we went. Mm -hmm. We Initially, we had them on chains over there. We moved them up. This building was, or the 215 location, was also a two-tiered location. We struggled with some limiting factors with ceiling height, with the actual space around the size of some of the racks, air movement, microclimates. So that this building in particular, we did remove the top level of all four flower rooms. Um, immediately, we're able to get some more air moving, grow some taller strains in those rooms. Still have all the pip racks, just don't utilize a second level. Um, the third facility was designed to be an amended soil, um, water only, and some teas facility uh, so it has a soil mixing room a little more space for larger container sizes roughly 250 300 plants per flower room um, we started at around 72 lights we've reduced lights out of these rooms we were overlit to a degree we're looking at transferring that building over to salt feed regimen to match our other buildings several things that are just extremely labor intensive about growing in amended soil. Um, we do weekly top dressings, weekly tea applications, which are all manual labor, sure. um, have to be there, have to uh, distribute that water according to where these pots are at. The consistency of using that much larger container size equals a lot of inconsistencies with the environment inside that container, uh, irrigation events, root density, all of those things which lead to inconsistencies in the crop in general so you guys have done a little bit of everything yeah. over the last few years um, it's very nice to compare some strains that we have where we may run them now to double tier led single tier led 
and over here HPS amended soil now we have a couple of the rooms at that building running on salts also so we can run hps and salts over there so we can see different flower expressions on some of our more heavily run strains across multiple facilities and see what the what effect that has on terpenes flavor uh, water activity how it does in the dry room mm -hmm. um, numerous other variables that are affected just by those systems on their in their own and you're capturing a lot of that data and trying to analyze the best you can. I know people are pretty good about capturing it and then they have all this data and then they don't tend mm -hmm. to have someone who has either the time, uh, bandwidth, or skill set to actually like make that data useful for growers. But you know, it's nice when you're making data-driven decisions with good, clean data and it sometimes can take a lot of that back and forth decision-making of personalities and opinions and experience. It kind of can mute that and you can say, hey, the data that we feel confident in is saying that we need to go this direction. Mm -hmm. And from uh, someone who has the responsibility on their shoulders, it takes a little bit of that off your shoulders, which is somewhat nice. And you can, if something did go right or wrong, and it's like, well, how did we get to this point? You're like, oh, we all collectively looked at the data. We said the data was leaning this direction. Mm -hmm. So we validated that data, and we decided that was the best direction to go, versus like, Oh, well, uh, Dante thought that this was going to be a great idea. And, you know, you get kind of thrown under the bus yeah. for stuff. You guys came into this company not in the roles that you are in today. So you worked your way up the ladder, so to speak. Can we talk a little bit about what it's like to move to, you know, from, let's say, maybe an entry or mid-level role into a leadership role and be managing facilities that you may have had little to no insight in and during the design and engineering process and equipment selection process? Sure. I think both of us came in early enough in the game so that a lot of the processes, SOPs, weren't dialed. Uh, Six-man crew then developed to 12-man and so on from there. So by the time we had 15 employees, we, we were working out a lot of our SOPs. We had a hand in developing those and the evolution of them ever since. So um, we kind of fought a lot of those initial battles on the ground floor, uh, figuring out what to do as we changed our processes and in facilities that were designed for different processes. So uh, um, kind of being the people that want to get your hands dirty, we can talk about it all day, but until I do it, I'm not going to know it. So both of us showed that desire to get in there, get our hands dirty. Something new is in the building. I want to turn it on. And I don't want to break it, but I want to, I want to figure it yeah, out. Yeah, I want to understand yeah. it. Yeah. Yep. So that, that desire, I think, is chief in anybody you know, in this industry. Um, everybody can show up, but who's raising their hand and who's racing forward to, to volunteer? I want to be the first guy who runs the new tea machine, or I want to be the guy who you train on this foliar sprayer. Um, it's all of that. It's a desire, I think. You know, we both have expressed that from the beginning, the curiosity, a passion for the plant. Um, in this industry, I think, you know, it, it's hard to make your way to this spot if you don't have a passion for that plant in one way, shape, or form. So um, I think that was heavy in both of us, and an ability to communicate, which evolves over time. You know, as we've moved up in these positions, um, the way I communicate to everyone else has to change a little bit. You know, I mean, one of the hardest things to navigate of all is HR. You know, it's just a, a ton of speed bumps that come at you with coming from where we come from in life. You're, you're not prepared for that side of things, you know. Uh, Especially as we watch a company grow from six guys kind of mm -hmm. hanging out, having a good time while they're working into a company of, you know, 120, 150 people. Putting structure, a lot of changes. Put, yeah. Putting structures in places and, you know, making sure in, in certain conversations how specific you are. You know, I mean, just, I don't want to give a promise to anybody I can't keep. Yeah, it's hard. It's like it's hyper growth is kind of what mm -hmm. you're looking at. And it's like you're like, OK, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And then all of a sudden it just starts a hockey stick and you're like, whoa, I got 40 new people or, mm -hmm. you know, and, and so I mean four months or something like that. And we need a holiday policy. You know, it's, it's those sort of things. <laughs> sure. You know, it always seems like the plants act up on those holiday times, too, <laughs> when, every, when everyone's trying to get PTO and everything yeah. else. Well, we talked about SOPs and kind of, and I agree with you, you know, if you were to say, hey, can you write all these SOPs before this facility opens up? It's like, I mean, you can write like general SOPs, like I said, for an application that are kind of applicable, but until you're in the space working with the people and the tools and you know, really looking at the flow, it's, I don't say it's impossible, but it's very difficult to write mm -hmm. an accurate SOP that you could actually hold someone accountable to until you're in the space. So we were talking earlier and 
SOPs are like a dusty book on the shelf to a lot of people, but the ones that like really own that word and that 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 style, it's it's like an evolving document. So like as you guys are leveling up and figuring out different stuff, you're updating those SOPs and I think it was Toyota, if I'm not mistaken, and it's something that resonated with me um, a long time ago, was is the Toyota team members, they weren't bonused out by necessarily their productivity. They were bonused out on how often the SOPs evolved. Mm-hmm. So they just were into that like Kaizen continuous yeah. improvement thing. Kaizen, yeah. And they, you know, they never wanted anyone to like accept something as like, this is how we do it, this is good enough. They were really encouraging and bonusing and incentivizing their employees to figure out how to make it leaner, more efficient, um, more productive, more profitable, maybe better for the environment, whatever whatever that might be. So I always thought that was really interesting to yeah. you know, kind of incentivize. Because you know, in, in this world, we talk about, I got to get to this many grams per square foot. Uh, I got to get to this potency score. Revenue, you know. And all those things are important, but what also is important is managing your labor costs. Mm-hmm. It's one of the largest costs, if not the largest cost, in cannabis production, and a lot of people overlook that. It's definitely something that we've gotten more efficient with over the past year. So I think we had a max of like 35 employees. We're down to 27 right now, and we might need to hire one or two at the moment, but I mean, we're getting the same amount done with less people, just people that are more trained, more experienced, who and that's just in cultivation, right? The thir- just in cultivation. The original 35, now down to 27. And that's for how many lamps total? About 815. 800 lamps, 27 people. Sounds, sounds pretty good. Can we talk a little bit? And it's, I, think, I guess it's really getting the right people in the positions, mm-hmm. right? You're kind of 100%. sifting as people come in and everyone gets excited and seems like a hard worker in the beginning. And then sometimes that tends to dwindle as... There's always that honeymoon phase, you know, where people come in and it's cannabis and it's awesome, it's exciting. And then... It's, it's still a real job, though. It's yeah. a hard, dirty, real job. Yeah, you're not really sitting ever, no. you know? You might have, like, a constant little brow sweat, too, you know? So a lot of people aren't used to that if they're coming from a yeah. different industry. Quality number one, I'd say, are you here and are you here early? Yeah. You know, uh, that eagerness we talked about before, curious mind. It's that positive attitude, you know, appreciating what we get to do. And that's why I speak on the passion of just the joy of working with the plant, you know, going into a grow room on a gloomy Michigan afternoon. If that doesn't turn you up a little bit, then, you know, you should be somewhere else. You should probably go talk to somebody. Yeah, you got got some deeper issues. So, you know, our best guys, it's best guys and gals. It's the people that, you know, show up consistently, have that positive attitude, radiate that energy to everybody else and you know are willing to make a mess and clean it up daily the strongest quality is observation and communication you know if you're observing things and communicating them observations we're going to catch everything when it happens we're going to identify the weak points in our processes we're going to identify plants the minute they start going through it you're observing leaf angles you're observing low lit areas it's it's that curious mind that observant person and that excellent communicator you know i don't think cannabis experience plays into it very much other than having a passion for the plant in one way shape or form yeah i mean i really couldn't agree with it more it's interesting how the best prevent prevention whether it's ipm or something else it's 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 observation Mm -hmm. but then the second part of that is like a lot of people observe something but they won't communicate it appropriately mm-hmm. in any kind of time, you know, timeliness. And it's like, they'll be like, after it's a real problem, they're like, oh yeah, last week. I know. And you're like, really? Yeah. Like you didn't say anything to anybody? Like that's not what we're going for. And you know, it's a lot of places, if, if it was just me that got communicated to or just Dante, all that communication can't come back out of just one or us, one of us. So what, what is the system? You know, how does it flow up? How does it flow down? Making sure communications go to the right person and start funneling communication mm-hmm. that way and know that person's got it. You know, putting things off your off your plate. You know, who, who can I count on to do the things that occupy the most of my time every day right now? I want that guy to be someone else a month from now, two months from now. I want to learn it, identify our process, pass it off to that next person. Mm-hmm. When you guys took on the leadership role, there were some transitions with kind of how people were flowing between facilities. Can you talk a bit about some of that, those changes you made and kind of why you made them? You know, our three facilities are all on the same street in the industrial sector of this uh, town. So it's really easy to kind of hop back and forth. And it had always been, 
something where aside from a couple dedicated roles like you're this building's irrigation guy, for the most part, the vast bulk of our crew would it could essentially be anywhere at any time, any day. They wouldn't know until usually the night before. So, I mean, it's sometimes a little harder to care when you don't have that personal connection with these rooms. You know, it's like if I'm doing some defoliation in this room, but then for the next three days, I'm going to be in a different building cleaning or trimming. You know, you might not see that crop again until harvest or Forever. when you're cleaning or ever. And it's kind of hard to care as much or to uh, really stress the importance of doing a good job when you don't have that connection to the next step. You know, if you do a bad job with the defoliation, it's going to cause more work for you the next time around if you're the same guy at that same building. It creates more accountability is mm -hmm. the main thing. Yeah. So first thing we did was we took several of our most experienced uh, crew members and we made them building managers, essentially, kind of put some of that responsibility on them. And it's gone wonderfully. You know, it's not just us two hopping around constantly putting out all the small fires. You know, a lot of those small fires get put out and then we're just thought about them later, you know. Sure. Nice. But it creates that accountability where people know what the results of their actions are going to be. And if they cut corners, they're only really creating more work for themselves. So of the 27 cultivation employees, what's kind of like the breakdown, and I guess correlation, like five employees to this building and X amount of lights or anything like that? How's that kind of yeah, work? We, we kind of broke it down based off of a few different factors. You know, the canopy space, lights, essentially just our, our biomass coming out as well, too. You know, because e even at our double tier building, it's like you might have double the lights and double the square footage, but it's still not quite as much biomass per tray. So we, we tried to assign different weights based on that. We played around with it a lot. I mean, luckily we knew our people pretty well by then. So we were able to kind of uh, examine strength and weaknesses. And then we went back and forth on it for weeks before we rolled that out. Then we only had to make a couple minor modifications to you know strengthen up this team over here. Okay, they've got a lot of guys. We can pull one over here. And the best part about it is that with the ebb and flow of labor we can just we can still make people move from one building to another and if needed if needed yeah if you know a couple guys call off here and we've got a, a harvest and you know a transplant going on and we're short you know you can always grab a couple guys or we can jump in so yeah but it just yeah. gives that consistency which i imagine they like too they right? do it puts them in the mix you know well it makes them own a space yeah. exactly right that's i mean like you you hit it on the, on the head it was accountability when you're floating around between multiple facilities multiple tasks it's like you're a floater. Yeah, exactly. You can get lost in the mix and you can kind of hide in that herd a little bit too. And though it's a team approach, for whatever reason, once you get kind of assigned to a, a, a zone or a room or rooms or whatever it might be, it's like, that's my room, yeah. you know? Like, I, I'm, they know it's my room too, so that sense of pride comes in and, you know, they're gonna maybe clean a little tighter mm -hmm. um, or make sure that, you know, if there is an issue in their room, they're usually chirping up pretty quick about it once it's in kind of their room as well. Yeah. We've definitely seen more engagement from top to bottom. Yeah. Awesome. And we have dedicated veg workers. Other than that, inside of our facility, everybody does everything. So the same people transplant, as he said, they de-leaf, they'll harvest that room. And then hopefully we can walk them back through the results of that harvest on any metrics that we're measuring on, mm -hmm. you know, so we can talk about First off, what it smoke like compared to past batches. To me, that's the most important beyond the numbers. I mean, we gotta yield a certain amount. It's gonna test a certain way. The yeah. bottom line is, are, are, are we smoking the product? Is it better or is it worse? Let's be real about that answer. All these things now becomes a conversation with an audience. Mm -hmm. You know, rather than us explaining this upwards to someone, we had these issues. We're explaining it down from down. They're remembering this and now they're checking all those things as we move through. You know, next time we hit week seven, hopefully three people are looking at that CO2 rating and making sure it's been turned down. Nice. That type of stuff, you know, it's, it's the dialogue, the internal dialogue, the sharing of information and making sure that information is available for those people. As you said, really knowing their space, if that space is this facility for the day. Let's talk a little bit about the training for stuff like this. Um, we had spoke earlier about how a lot of people are really good about telling somebody what to do, but they usually tend to overlook explaining and taking the time to explain to them why it matters and how it impacts the rest of the supply chain. Yeah, I mean, it's very simple to tell somebody the what they're doing for the most part. And I mean, it, it naturally kind of comes 
first, you know, when you're training new people, but it's not until you understand why you're doing it. And that's when people start to become experienced, become a little dangerous, you know? Sure. It's like, it's kind of when the magic starts to happen. Uh-huh. It's like, there's an awakening moment I've noticed and they're like, oh, I just thought this was just like a task that we just kind of had to do. And it was just like a checking a box for me. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden they're like, wow, I didn't realize that I was basically, it was like, doing my post-harvest processing team dirty, you know, like, and those are my friends over there. I care about them. I want to make their, I want to set them up for success. I was actually putting them down for success, you know, mm-hmm. and so, but yeah. until you have that yeah. awakening moment, it's just not even a thought for a lot of people. Let's talk about genetics. So, well, I want to come back to actually, you mentioned something which I think is really hard to measure because it's such a palate focused thing or an experienced smoker thing, but like, how does one measure or say like, this smokes good, or this doesn't smoke good. Like, well, I guess, it, I'm curious to know what you're gonna say, but it's a, it's a difficult yeah. thing to um, Everybody has a different palate. Physiologically, cannabis affects every person differently. If there's anybody making waves in the state of Michigan, I wanna smoke their flower. You know, if, if you consider yourself craft, I'm coming, I wanna smoke it. You know, nice. I just, first off, I love to, I love to smoke weed, you know? Sure. Uh, it's like flavor chasing else. these days too, yeah. experience chasing. And so my palate is kind of monoprofiled. I mean, I like gas, I like chems, I like sours so much to the point that delayed a little bit and smoking Skittles, runts, all that stuff. Man, it, it's flavor town nowadays across the board. So what is the effect like, you know? I'm down with any flavor, but I've gotta have the effect on the back end. So we do R&D between our team you know, where we get samples of what we grow to every single person on the grow team. We smoke them together, we smoke them apart. We've done blind samples on pheno hunts because I have a bias if I know what it is. I like a certain breeder, I like a certain plant better by how it performed in a room. Get that unbiased opinion on it, smoke them back to back, smoke them quick, light them, put them out, move through them. Mm -hmm. uh, Different ways show you different things about that smoke. What does it look like halfway down the joint? Do I have a resin ring? white ash is that smoke smooth am i coughing have i felt anything wash over my eyes am i physically more relaxed at this point am i stimulated in any way shape or form does the the smell transfer to the taste mm-hmm. you know i mean does does all of that come through or only a small portion i mean for me famously bubble gum you know i've chased bubble gum plants smelled fantastic indiana bubble indiana gum bubble, bubble gum, gi- say, yeah. and and it never has transferred to the smoke other than slightly so they're beautiful plants unique mm-hmm. but it doesn't transfer to what you think when somebody hands you a bag of bubble gum. So if it's got a name like that, I think it has to firstly taste like what you're expecting. Which is not that common these no. days. Mm-mm. And all the names are taken. Yep. So people are trying to be as creative as they can. It's like almost somebody looked up every possible pastry mm-hmm. from a French bakery and every flavor of ice cream, you know, and it's like, and it's tough as a breeder, you're like, oh, I made this thing, I wanna give it a good name, and you're trying to play with it, but also as a breeder, you have your own olfactory palette and your yeah. age, your experience, and you're like, yeah, yeah, this is like a rotten mango to me, and then, you know, you give it to someone else, and they're like, man, I got like sweet peach all day, mm-hmm. you know, and you're like, no, rotten mango, and it's like, it becomes challenging, and then all the good words are taken, yeah. and you're like. Sadly, that's good marketing, too, you know, when a lot of people walk into a dispensary and they can't, you know, sample or even, smell a lot of these strains it's just about name and art and in michigan you're a they do deli style here they yes. open the jar yep i want to say because i went to a spot yep. and i was like some oh let you smell it most some people think that's gross I, most I of them have that. the little containers now with the button mm-hmm. yeah, and yeah. the vent that pushes the air out of there so you can walk up press that sure. but you're not nothing's going into the jar yeah or that like as the sample nugging kind of that usually yeah. i feel bad it always gets beat up you know but so batch to batch for us though i mean there's so much of it involved in what goes on in the dry room Every single dry room cycle is different than the last, depending on what time of year it is, what's going on outside the building. We try and watch it, we try and guide it, we try and land between a certain level water activity meter when we start trimming it, and then that chain of custody is lost again, you know, somewhat, whether it's in the transport vehicle or sitting in a dispensary's back room that may not be climate controlled. In our own process, it may sit for a period of time, not climate controlled. So we worry about what's it smoking like when it leaves our building, you know, uh, try and get it from the market, always see deterioration, I assume, no matter how good it's sealed, light, 
most people's is deteriorated from when they sent it out, you know, totally. um, just time and oxygen that may be in there. Um, even the nitrogen sealed, I, there's questions I've had when I've purchased that. So um, really, what's that moisture looking like? What's that, that flavor coming through like? Those are the, the effect, how it grinds up. There's even a sound to weed when it's proper. If you break a stem and you listen, there's a good sound sure. and there's a bad sound. Sure. So it was one of the funnier things when I became aware of it and had that all-out conversation with people and really started paying attention to the sound of weed. But there's a few different ways. The way it grinds can tell you a lot about what state that flower's in. I always like when I'm trying to taste something and really taste it, I always do dry pool on a pre-roll mm -hmm. or on a joint, right? Like as soon, as soon as I light it, you know, Oh, and hope, hopefully, like when I really know I have a winner, it's like when that second half of a joint mm -hmm. has flavor. Still. Right? You're like, oh. To the you're like, I'm still, like in depth of flavor too. It's something that people don't talk about enough. Like when a cultivar has like layers, mm -hmm. like maybe it starts off gassy and then like finishes candy or, or vice versa. And you're like, you're like, whoa, there's, there's a lot to this. And it's hard for your brain to kind of process. But by the way, you said so many incredible, I would call them like KPIs or measurement points on how something smokes. So mm -hmm. thank you for that. No Cause, problem. But you nailed it, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, all those things matter. And unless you're like a real smoker, you're just not thinking that way. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing how many people don't consume their own product on a regular basis. You know, that might be the best form of quality control that's out there. I think it is, and I think it's gotta be collaborative. You know, I mean, like I said, with my own biases that I walk in the room with, that has to be mitigated with other people's biases to get a representation of the market. You know, I'm not the biggest fan of, you know, the cookie poly hybrids with, with a mono terpene taste. You know, you'll get a lot of just, I call it hashiness. You know, it's a, a little bit of that early cherry pie taste but it doesn't explode like like cherry pie did back sure. then so it's been muted it looks awesome you know i mean looks wise uh, goes the, through post-harvest processing really nice exactly you know you know but it's one out of every five that's smoking like you hope it is out of a, the clone only's lately that you hear about you know they're out there people are pushing this plant like at no point in history and the genetics are impressive it's you can settle or you can keep looking. Are you going to find one keeper in a pack or are you going to find one keeper, hopefully, in a 500-seat hunt? Let's talk a bit about your genetics because I saw all kinds of new stuff. And you guys also had some stuff that I thought I was familiar with, but it was actually an in-house pheno mm -hmm. of uh, Stardog from JJ over at Top Dog. But, yeah, let's, let's talk genetics a little bit of maybe kind of where it was when you started and kind of where it is now. Yeah. Um, initial people that set up to grow, um, they did a huge pheno hunt, which is kind of what I walked into. Dante was a part of that. and It's always fun. A lot of top dog gear, some aficionado. Mm, yeah, top, yeah, struggling to think. Green Team Genetics was in some of that, too. I think there was also some Oni back then. Mm -hmm. Did Green Dream do like a fruity cereal? Yeah, okay. yep. He's got a, bun a whole fruit line. Yep. yep. Okay. A whole fruit line. There's I, haven't, I have some of his their gear, but I haven't run it yet. But it's always been like one of those ones where I'm like, I really want to throw this in and kind of give it a go. Yeah. I never knew with breeders early on. I was like, well, I'll buy your gear mm -hmm. and then I'll run it. And if that goes well, I'll get more of it. But it's like, you know, you can look at all the advertisements you want and pretty pictures and, yeah. and the hype. And, but until you run it. Every seed's different. So, you know, if, if, if you don't pop them, you're not finding it. And bag seed, can, it can come out of bag seed. It can come out of a... a Eighteen thousand dollar pack of seeds, you know. So, totally. I mean, look at look at look at Kem. Look at the story of Kem. Yeah, you know, that's a great example of a bag seed. You know, I mean, he he popped and won an auction and built a fantastic company off that aggressiveness from that point forward. Mm -hmm. um, we we saw a similar thing with the Mac when that went around, and sure. we were involved with an auction online where Mac a pack of those seeds from Cap that he put into the auction sold for eighteen grand. So we. We actually worked that out. The guy didn't even want the seeds, took the cut. But I've seen it, you know, lately there's been some $5,000 packs. I know, uh, you know, third gen out there is yep. doing their thing with pricing on elite, elite flavors that are coming out of that camp. And they have, I mean, all these places, when I would go to Emerald Cup back in the day, they, yeah, I mean, I think third gen was doing like, I think it was like, Skittles cubed or yeah. something. It was like then a Z. The melon came. And, and the I mean, melons. And I mean, but they were, when you were, you had to wait in line. Yeah. And if you were lucky, you got in early at Emerald Cup. But these guys, a lot of these breeders will show up late too. It's kind of, yeah. uh, I think Aficionado is kind of uh, notorious for this. Like, yeah. you know, Emerald Cup would be open and like that booth would not be open. And, and, and they, they'd be setting up, but the, there would be a line. Yeah. And I could never tell if they did it on purpose or not because I was like, 
the line would be crazy. And you're like, what is this line? And they're like, oh, it's for aficionado. And, but you're like, why is it so long? And you're like, well, they're not open. Mm-hmm. But it was almost like, I almost, I would be curious to ask Leo if that was like just a strategic move. Just yeah. to, you know, you're like, they got the longest line here. But I mean, you're buying a pack of seeds for I mean, I'll say 500, 1,000. I'll say this. They put a lot into packaging, presentation before a lot of people were. I know, I think theirs were presented the best until I saw maybe Swamp Boys come out that just mm-hmm. felt nice in your hand. Mm-hmm. But all of that plays into it, man. They, they had the wax seal mm-hmm. on it before I saw anybody doing it. First time I bought their seeds, I was like, this is nicer than like my wife's yeah. wedding ring from Tiffany's, you know? I was like, yeah. this is crazy. Um, you feel like you're buying an elite product. Well, and, you know, I think from a marketing and execution standpoint, it's just smart. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Emerald Cup and a lot of the seed stuff has totally changed over the years. You know, all of a sudden there was, you could collect tax at Emerald Cup a few mm-hmm. years ago. I was like, oh, this is crazy yeah you're getting receipts all of a sudden from alien genetics you know know. feedback about this weekend but i know it was a different event this year i mean change the location it's evolved yeah there's still some good players out there but it has that whole energy i think has changed a bit um and then the federal government came out and said some you know some interesting stuff about seeds as well because seeds are always this kind of gray area Mm -hmm. but they're now saying that that seeds is it doesn't have any active thc so now seed breeders finally have a little bit more comfort or wiggle room you know kind of wholesaling seeds the yeah. way that they have been for for years yep i'll shout out another friend of mine from michigan scapegoat genetics we will we will on instagram yep uh big influence to me an inspiration a mentor all those things uh showed me a lot about growing with the plant um introduced me to the nectar for the gods guys who mm-hmm. i was i grew like that for years with scott out of oregon um but his passion for the plant you know the the fact of whatever seed you're popping i mean there's crosses I'm attracted to, ones I'm not. But I know as well as anybody, I've seen them come out of every pack, you know, randomly. You don't know where it's coming from. So the bias that's associated, one thing you said earlier with certain strains, you know, like not probably not too many people popping wedding cake crosses, purple punch crosses, or gorilla glue crosses right now. But you're just as likely to find the heat in any of that. So if I found an excellent Gorilla Glue cross right now, just listing that as the genetics turns people off to it. You know, to to a degree, it's the the chase of that genetics. You know, I want a Biscotti cross, or sure. you know, I want a Basio cross, or I want the Lemon Head OG cross, and that drives a lot of the consumer from the marketing side of things. The actual market is much bigger than that, but. Um, totally. The high end. It's interesting when you got to like, if you if you know the right people and you can get the right genetics that you know are going to have that run, let's call it, because like not everything has a long run. I mean, a long run of popularity is a few years if you're now, lucky. Yep. You year, year to year, two year increments, probably going down to one. But exactly. But for a typical place, you know, trying to get, all right, I finally got this cut that's now popular. Yeah. So maybe you're already six months into popularity. Then you got to bring it into your facility. You have to up the population of it. Then you got to grow it. And it's like by the time you get it to the market, you might, you might like, most likely are probably on the tail end yeah. of that hype train. So it's, it, this is a challenge. A lot of people weren't paying attention to genetics early on, especially the bigger corporations and companies mm-hmm. that got into cannabis. It was just like an afterthought. And I always thought that was so strange. It's like you just spent 25, 30, 40, 60 million dollars in your facility. And then I'd talk to them about genetics and they'd be like, yeah, we got some kind of some seed. You know, we spent about like $2,000 on seeds. And I was like, I was like, well, who, who got them? Like, they're like, oh, this guy. I'm like, is he like, is he pretty like connected? And it's all Cindy ninety nine crosses. He's like a total total custy, and he just yeah. got just hosed at you know some event or something with a bunch of okayish genetics. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I've seen you know some of the, some of those old school. You know, were you knocking Cindy ninety nine just now? Are you giving kind of. Not some, kind of kind of the the story behind it more than anything, okay. but yeah, I don't think it'd do well nowadays. Is what my no. point was. I used to grow. We used to grow about ten years ago, and Cindy always had that. Um, Correlation or that claim that it had like a psychedelic type experience. That's kind of what I'm knocking. I, I, <laughs> I personally never got to experience that. Um, and yeah, it was a it was a nice structure, bud, but it didn't. I mean, it, it had a big name back then. You know sure. what I mean? So like, I'd, I'd throw like Quirkle kind of the same way. You know yeah, where these these are strains I've actually seen. You know, in this day and age, rooms full of at this moment, and it just goes with what you're saying is the the eye on genetics. Like, it's not driving a sale. You know, and. Uh, for us, everything we've grown up until this point has been hunted in-house. You know, it's been genetics. We've popped. We've done probably four rounds of pheno hunting at this point. 
to probably come out of that with a good 25 strains we've liked put in to put into production heavily some of them have lost their way a long time because they don't check certain boxes for us or are too similar to something else mm -hmm. we're growing um, we will we'll walk some of those hot street clones in here now um, next couple months the next year we want to be a part of that conversation too so we want to have our stuff but we also want to put out something that's similar same strains other people in the state are and be compared on that level well that's the nice thing about growing something that someone else is growing right it's mm -hmm. like put it on the table let's see exactly there's nothing better than a runts off everybody grows <laughs> runts and brings it to the table and it's all gonna taste fire you know it's just it's gonna be a good example yeah, of it. i used to say glue was the same thing then cake for a minute but it's, it's, it's awesome these pheno hunts have been amazing without like a dedicated space specifically for that you know when everything we do is indoor it takes up such a significant portion of our production space you know and it takes such a long time it's it's so awesome but in a, a sense it is a little irresponsible it's got some financial still. pain points up front but you know what though you get that winner that you have and no one else has and you can ride that it tends to work out in the end yeah. for people that are listening i guess let's talk a little bit about some of like if you were to i don't know do you have like this is our best sellers or are there any strains that you want people to be aware of or maybe something that's new coming down the pipeline that you want people who are maybe already familiar with your company to know about um, just to be kind of on the lookout for? Definitely. Always proud of the motor milk that we put out. Um, and motor milk again. It's green motor team breath. genetics, um, milk bone, milk bone. motor breath 15, creamy gas. Um, just it looks the way I like weed too. Smells the way, smokes, taste, effect. It checks all those boxes. Um, fantastic plant for us to grow. Yeah, it looked like it grew really well as well. Yep, Snoop Dogg OG is a mm -hmm. cross from Top Dog that we've ran heavy for a few years here. Fantastic. We've experienced a little bit of genetic drift on it, but it's still always smoking great when we harvest it. Really proud of Star Dog and Sure Breath. Star Dog, obviously JJ Top Dog, Sure Breath. Is Thug Pug Genetics out of Michigan oh, also. Sure. Yep. So we, we have a couple Thug Pug crosses we ran through. The Sherb Breath is unique, creamy, got some of that foul Sherb flavor in there. Just a joy of a plant, easy, swells, um, has that look. The Star Dog, like I said, that's another one in there, just visually stunning, you know, flower. Um, then we have some that aren't as visually stunning that I like to smoke more, you know, sour Jesel. I love it. We ran it hard for a while. Yep. Yeah. And it's, it's a sour and that Jesel. So G13 it's, it's chem nasty. Right? Yeah. Just yeah. I mean, it's not the most it. visually appealing plant. It's maybe not the most, uh, the best commercial plant to grow, but man, it's got a nose on it. It's better than anything else we have. Yeah. We got a scapegoat strain, Wooberry. Yeah. Um, that's blowing up for us right now. Oh, I've had some of your Wooberry rosin in the past. Okay. Yep, and that is an old DJ Short blueberry, yeah, blueberry yes. to a nom nom from Scapegoat, which is Cookie Poly Hybrid GG4 okay. in there. That that we like a lot. We're growing that now. Salts under HPS and getting a whole different expression out of it, just blowing up like a whole different plant. Well, that's the interesting thing about your whole setup because you have different buildings and different cultivation approaches. It's like a lot of people don't realize like how much environment impacts cultivar trade expression. Big time. I mean, cultivar is genetics plus environment. So you guys have these kind of varied setups. Seen it both ways where we put something under HPS and it foxtails and lacks density. Other strains have done well under HPS, moved them into our LED rooms with salt and all of a sudden they lack density and foxtail on us, you know? So <laughs> playing with those light levels, the interpretation of that spectrum by the plant, um, interesting to watch it unfold across these rooms. So try and learn every time. So there's. It's cool to be able to compare all these differences, but at the same time, some, sometimes it's very difficult to have all these differences in how we operate. Mm -hmm. Totally. I'm always encouraging people to have like divergent genetics, mm -hmm. um, you know, kind of all the colors of the crayon box, yeah. so to speak. But it's interesting because you can't have them necessarily at the same ratios. Mm -hmm. You know, like you don't want to maybe, like you can burn people out on lemon really yeah. easy. Orange. Orange. But then like, then you take it away mm -hmm. or lower production and then it's weird how everything kind of comes back around again and all of a sudden it's like you get this wave of people asking for lemon after you take it away. It is we have a really sativa dominant uh, mango Nigerian from Top Dog okay. and it's heavy on mango and finishes in about 65 days. Loose flower structure, long flower structure, trims up into little pebbles. 
but people love it. I mean, my black market friend growers like the cut, ask for the cut. You know, if I ever quit running it here, it go, it's going into hands out there. <laughs> Very interesting as that mango, but really incense kind of smell to mm -hmm. it too. That sativa name next to it, people come looking. Do you find that the market's grown a lot of indicas in Michigan? Yeah. Due to maturation time and yep. ease? Yep, yeah. find it and what's hype. You know, I mean, it's the density that you put on. These are some monster plants, these mangoes. And we had another pheno that was going to take probably 75 plus days to finish. <laughs> mm -hmm. So finding something that does actually finish in that range, it's unique. I think uh, if we grew a ton of it, we'd probably sell a ton of it without much discount to it because people are looking for it, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's just, it's difficult to commercially viable produce a lot of that stuff. I used to run a bunch of, actually, I think I've run the Mango Nigerian um, from JJ, but I ran a bunch of stuff from Bodhi that was yeah. land race stuff, and it's really cool to experience and witness. See those jungle plants. But at the same time, too, some of those maturation times, I'm like, I can't make this work. It's not commercially viable. Sweet as cool style. as it is. Yeah, nothing. Going. And nothing, looking at pistols, yeah. yeah. You're like, oh, this is gonna go the distance. Exactly. Um, where can people find your products in the state of Michigan? Are you guys kind of everywhere at this point, or do you have some flagship stores that people can oh. go to, depending on where they're located? Yeah, we're all over. We're in, I believe, over 350 dispensaries throughout the state, so you can find us all over the east side, up to the UP. We're across okay. several stores up there. Um, I know we have some great relationships with High Profile, Green Stem, um, several others that, that we operate fully with. I mean, we're, we want to be in every store that we can be in. At least one of our SKUs, we do large numbers on vape carts, pre-rolls, and extracts too. So um, trying to shift a little bit to a more premium flower product. Uh, flower still runs the whole game in Michigan. You know, it's, it's a dominant a portion of the market. What about 55, 60% of sales still? Yeah, I think it's over Flower. 60. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Nice. Got some smokers. Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. <laughs> and, you know, unfortunately, THC percentage still drives the number of those sales. It's everywhere. Yep, it, it is. I, mad props to the bud tenders of the world. They make this whole thing click. You know, their time they spend educating people is why we've advanced where we have in the last two years. I mean, I feel like that's the heart and soul of our industry. So just, I, I can't shout the people at the front lines of this, giving that education, making that sale, and forming real opinions on flowers. I mean, these are people that are smoking at these jobs. Yeah, <laughs> I've actually, so I'm, I'm pretty hypercritical in all honesty of um, when I have a retail experience and I'm, anytime I'm traveling, I, I'd go, you know, to go buy something, I'll go mm -hmm. check it out. I've had really positive experiences with the bud tenders and kind of retail staff in Michigan specifically. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, it's, it's such a nice, I and it, you know, it's not everybody, but like, you know, sometimes I'm in Colorado or, or California and it's like, they're like exhausted and it's almost like you're inconveniencing them mm -hmm. or something or you start asking questions and what I've also learned is I start asking questions and because I know a little too much, a lot of people don't know the answers to questions. I'm like, God, these people yeah. are so poorly trained. Mm -hmm. They have to go get someone and God forbid you ask what the genetics are on something. It's like you just ask like a, a Rubik's, to solve a Rubik's cube, yeah. you know? And I'm like, it's interesting how many people are working at a retail level and aren't taking the extra time to increase their knowledge on what they're selling. So, but I have noticed in Michigan specifically that I've had really pretty um, positive and elevated communications. And for someone like myself, if you're not excited about your cannabis yeah. and you don't know anything about it, guess what? Guess who else isn't excited about it? Me, yeah. which means I'm probably gonna buy an edible. I might, if you have grams, I might buy a gram. And if I'm feeling really lazy, I might get a pre-roll, even <laughs> though I know it's garbage. Yeah, I'm hoping um, you give me one if it's my first time there. <laughs> but, <laughs> but if you're knowledgeable and you're excited, I'm the kind of customer, you know, my wife will yell at me later, but I'll go in there and spend four or $500 mm -hmm. because I'm excited. Because you have something new that I haven't tried, or just I'm just feeding off of your excitement. So exactly. um, hopefully that message gets out to some of those bud tenders that are maybe in a comfortable or cushiony yeah. role at the moment. I'm impressed. I, I'm a consumer. Like I said, I, I shop this dispose as well as growing my own at home and growing here. So I, I want to see it all, you know, and I go in, I, whoever comes and greets me, my first question is what's the best you have in here? I want their opinion and their opinion is pretty close to what my opinion would be walking into the store, having never experienced from what I've heard from other people, you know, in the industry that have smoked it, um, from the streets, you know, on a particular pheno that's out there, like you wanna smoke this, or this is smoking mm -hmm. right, this is new terp we haven't tasted. I wanna chase that. 
and the bud tenders align. You know, if I buy three of them, one of them will usually say, this is my favorite. When I get a car and run through all three of them, it's usually that one the bud tender says was their favorite. So, I mean, my faith is restored in that that like that these people are smoking they don't want it in their store if that's just a lot of skews to sift through if you're just coming in from the outside so it's like man if you could really just narrow this down like i'm this kind of smoker Mm -hmm. you know i mean they're like kind of like the final check in it you know after it's been transported after it's been stored you know all the things that could go wrong and sometimes do go wrong can you give me a state of like the look we know consolidation is happening and we see that there's oversupply in certain areas Um, but can you give me just a kind of a uh, brief overview for our listeners of the kind of current state of Michigan at the moment? We're growing fire across the board. <laughs> yeah. For real. Know, There's and, so and many I don't know people. If, I don't know if that has a lot to do with, you know, we had that decade from 2008 to 18, you know, where it was the caretaker program. And it was, it's a little unique in Michigan. You know, some states have similar overlaps, but we're basically, if you were old enough and you had your card, you could get, you know, more patience. And it was just like off to the races, you know, a little Wild West-ish. So you had yeah. a plethora of pretty experienced growers, you know, flower still dominates to this day. We've got amazing flower. I mean, you got a lot of genetics here too, which is nice. There's a a lot of really passionate cultivators across the market. It's of course, like everywhere else, over licensed on the green rust, over capitalized. Um, We're gonna, we're seeing market erosion, you know, every month we're seeing now sales plummet, starting to see across the board, or at least hear stories of, you know, non-payments going on across the state. So. It's watching all those factors. Still pushing to have the most premium product. The high end of our market is still maintaining throughout Michigan. So, like, shout out to all those people pushing it. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, we get challenged by, I get challenged and inspired by what I see every day across the state. You know, the passion of a lot of these operators. And and I like shouting them out. You know, they're our competition, but Michigan Grown, Pro Grow, High Tech, Hyman, Hog. You know, Peninsula Gardens is another one. Ghostbusters uh, Farm. PG, they they were putting out a nice product. I know a couple of growers over there. Yeah. Um, I had some decent product. I want to say it was Local Growth. Local Growth mm-hmm. kills it. Local yeah, growth. kills putting it. out some good yeah. product. And you know, I think that's the right. Well, first of all, you guys have such a healthy mindset. I think it's why mm-hmm. I probably have been here a little longer than I probably <laughs> told you I would stay. But it was nice to meet people who, you know, are really just honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, there's no ego to get in the way of logic yeah. in some cases that's uh, and it hasn't always been that way sure. you know what i mean <laughs> yeah you kind of gotta you kind of gotta earn it sometimes yeah uh, so in closing i generally like to ask something along the lines of like if you if you had a message for one person who was maybe thinking about getting involved in the industry or is in the industry and maybe has just gotten stagnant or in kind of a rut you know what does it mean to you to be successful in this space what does it take to be successful in this space I mean, obviously, from a numbers and financial sense, there's that argument, but it's not what drives people. It's not what makes them passionate, at least the people that are really, you know, their hearts are in the right place. I mean, that's just those are boxes that have to be checked. And after that, it's all about quality and a product that you're proud of, a product that you'll gladly show up to any event with and, you know, say, this is mine. This is what we made. I mean, it's all about the quality. Yeah. Quality focus. Yeah. It's amazing how many people work at a cultivation facility or work at a dispensary and don't smoke the weed there. And they go to like another dispensary. This happens all the time back in the day. I was like, don't you work? And they're like, yeah, but I don't. You don't. I was like, okay, okay. Yeah, that's like trusting a skinny chef. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that'd be the same, you know, successes, what that jar looks like at the end of the day. How, how do I feel it and recognize it as the intangibles of... You know, I, I live two hours away, so I drive that every morning and every night after work, and I jump out of bed. And I've never done that for another job in my whole life, you know, and it's, it's not because I get to grow weed because I could do that back home. Sure. It's the challenge of the scale, the working with the team, multiple, multiple things coming together. You know, we could sit here for an hour and couldn't list all the variables. So when all that shit comes together and you got the jar on the table and you're smoking with other people who have can identify what's in that jar, it's that. But in order for that to happen, we gotta walk out of here 70 days straight with all knowing we did what we could, had a good day. It's, it's the team building, you know, it's, it's being there for each other when they have those bad days. And 
all of that is builds to the intangible thing that just it draws me you know uh, it it's such an energy i can't describe it you know in order to succeed if you're burned out in this industry i, I mean you know when you got to change your environment you know i've had several jobs and i know when i needed to walk out the door at mm-hmm. all of them have i waited a year five years sometimes past that point yes change your environment if you feel like that you shouldn't feel like that you should be engaged be curious ask questions don't point things out to people that you know are right because we don't know you know we're all figuring it out as we go mm-hmm. so we've had a, a, several people with experience outside of here come in and just think their secrets or their style or their system is the right way and the only way and if you're doing it outside of that you're doing it wrong so be open-minded be flexible be on time say yes you're going to succeed in this. I love it. Be prepared to take a hell of a beating and come back stronger the next day and mm-hmm. ask for more. Yep. Yeah. No, I think you guys are spot on. Um, thank you guys so much. Thank you, Dave, for having me. I know you weren't able to join us, but uh, I was really glad he connected me with both of you. Yeah. And um, yeah, like I said, we're going to stay in touch. And um, yeah, I look forward to you, you know, more, more cultivars coming out of your space because some of that stuff you're working on, that new stuff is there's some interesting stuff. I don't remember the banger cross, but yeah. Flambanger, flam seeds, flambe mints, and sure banger. Yeah, I mean, not the prettiest, but man, <laughs> exactly. That was uh, one of the more unique terpene profiles that I've smelled in a while. Yeah. So, look forward to. It. I'm a sour dub guy, so I'm used to uh, weak little uh, okay. so pain in the butt plants, yeah. but come with that. We ran a lot of uh, alien rock candy back in yeah, the day, which it. was sour dub yep. background, and it's it's a sour dub yeah. in there. You remember that re-release? Yep. None of them pop for anybody across the whole <laughs> yeah. nation. Yeah. Well. Boys, pleasure as always. Yeah. Looking forward to the next time. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, that's a wrap. All right. Thanks for listening to Cultivation Elevated. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned are available at pithorticulture.com forward slash podcast. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash cultivation elevated. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes.